testing. Oh, there we go. Hey, Sam. You're up there. Say hi to Sam. Thanks for your help. And Anthony. Um, like, obviously, it is Advent. We've gone through a big portion of our liturgy this morning with a focus on um, the coming of Christ and the theme of love. And we are in Advent season. Um, I was reminded this week by the Irish Jesuits that there are three Advents. And this might be new for some of us. There was the initial historical Advent, the coming of Christ in the first century, the Bethlehem event, the Holy Family, the birth of Jesus, the coming that had been long awaited and told of by the prophets, and centuries of waiting for this, this king or messiah. Um, the second advent is mysterious. It's here and now. It's Christ coming among us in mystery in this time and in this place. And this is something we wait for, people of faith, in any part of your journey of faith. Christ coming in and among us now is the second advent. Um, the third advent is the coming of Christ in the future. This is called the second coming of Christ, which is confusing because it's advent number three. Um, oh, thank you. We, we're there. So... In the church, in the history of the church, some of the, in the creeds, um, we say that Christ has come, first advent, Christ is coming to us here and now, and Christ will come again. And some helpful words for these advents. Advent is um, history, the mystery, and majesty, the reign of God in all God's fullness in God's future. So... Um, but like we've noted, Advent is a season of preparation for these comings, for Christ among us. And as we read the scriptures this morning, I want to encourage us to think of the three of these um, expectations. And the mystery of what God is up to now. And is it even possible to, to see and to pay attention to Christ coming among us now. Um, preparation is a big deal. We have some youth in the room and we have wonderful adults that love to participate. What, do we, what are things we prepare for? Other than Christmas, <laughs> what are some major things in our lives that we have to prepare for? Babies. Babies, yes. Anything else? Earthquakes, emergencies, weddings, yes, trips. I was thinking of camping trips in particular. Um, applications, tests at school, yep. Lecture, lectures, parties. What? Funerals, death. There's preparation in so many aspects of our lives. Um, last night, Monrovia had its own brush fire. 
and as the, from the backyard, as I saw the red cloud of smoke and some flames, if I like zoomed in, helicopters were like dropping water, I could see the fire from our house. Um, there was a little bit of panic that set in. Kurt is away, and I, I was like, okay, if we have to evacuate, what am I gonna do? Like, what do I do? So I'm like texting him, like, what should I get? I've never thought this through before. And I'm like wandering around the house, kind of like, well, I don't need that. I don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need this. What do we, need? what do we actually need if we have to evacuate? The wonderful thing about preparation was, it was like a reality hit. Like, we don't need most of what we have. So um, I would get Sasha in the car and a, a filing cabinet and our computer and probably call it a day. Um, but it, it showed me that I wasn't even, yes. <laughs> thank you, John. Um, thank you. Just for some context, the other two children were with Kurt away. Um, I wouldn't leave them behind. But it, the, about 45 minutes of panic made me realize that I'm not even prepared to actually prepare for an emergency. Because there were like so many steps and clutter and chaos in my brain that I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And then I was just like texting all my friends, <laughs> looking at the app and making sure that the fire wasn't moving. And we're all okay, it was, it was put out. It's only five acres, but it was a little scary. Um, so as we think of preparation, we anticipate the coming of Christ. Um, in remembrance, in the history, in the here and now, we prepare for the mystery of Christ among us. And then in the future, we prepare. So we're, John the Baptist is going to help us out this morning. Um, he has a very direct, um, particular, wonderfully terrible proclamation for us. But in order for us to hear the proclamation of John the Baptist in preparing for the way of Christ, um, I wanted us to look at ourselves, <laughs> at our current world, and imagine the mystery of Christ coming to us now. And this is kind of a depressing video I'm going to have played. But um, if you're listening in, this video is, can be found it's by an animator called, um, his name is Steve Cutts. And he does animation and, and does a lot of cultural critique. And this one is called the, the Choir of, do you guys know the name of this video back there? Maybe if we get it going. If we get it going, I'll um, say the name. The Void Pacific Choir, Are You Lost in the World Like Me? That seemed like an adapt, adapted version of the original. I posted the original in our church Facebook page because um, I wasn't sure I was going to play it. Um, I've seen this video a couple of times and it, it provoked in me this, some angst. There's triggers. I'm sure there's triggers for everyone. Um, in, the, in its entirety, from beginning to end, um, it's just clear that this is from a child's perspective of 
kind of observing the world we're in um, and what, what, what's ahead, where we're headed. And it, for me, it triggered the need to find some hope and to, to experience some sort of, like, come, Lord Jesus, come, like, now, among us. Come with us, be with us. Because um, there wasn't any hope in this video. Um, John the Baptist was in the wilderness, and let's stand for the reading of the gospel. This is Matthew 3, 1 through 11. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham's, Abraham, or Abraham's, plural. We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able to raise, to, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is good news. This, in its time, in its context, in the historical advent, is good news. Amen? Surprisingly, the first century context was as chaotic and threatening and sectarian and divisive and troubling as our time now. It's remarkable that people left Jerusalem to go into the wilderness to hear this man preach this message of good news. There's a mystery here. People in Jerusalem probably had livelihoods moving forward. Like, people didn't leave Jerusalem for much in the wilderness. But there they were going out into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist proclaim good news. I know us, 
And I know that often repentance can sound like bad news. Like, oh, I'm a really bad person and I'm going to have to get baptized and do these religious things. In Christianity, there are no rules and regulations about repentance. There are no um, criteria like in Judaism that you have to things that you have to do to, in order to repent. Repentance becomes a way of life. And it's a new life. And baptism is a symbol of the new covenant and the new life that God offers. So this, this is good news in its context. And it's good news in our context now. And I, my hope today is that we hear this as an invitation to consider repentance. And I want to do so more with symbols. Um, If you read that passage again this week, because I know you're going to open your Bibles and read it again, (laughs) um, I encourage you to do so in whatever context you are in and hear the good news. But think of this. Think of the symbols of repentance in this narrative. Trisha said something two weeks ago when Misty had uh, the image up where we were doing Lectio Visio, excuse me, Visio Divina, and we were being um, quiet with an image of Christ on the cross and the people that gathered around and that were experiencing the crucifixion of Jesus in that image. I don't know if, if you were here, but I hope you recall that image. Trisha said something that I didn't even notice in the image, but she, she pointed out that there was a road. And for two weeks, I've been thinking about that. <laughs> Thank you, Trisha. Um, and I might stick to this symbol primarily, the, the symbol of this road. In this, in this context, in this uh, passage, uh, preparing a path, preparing a way, I want us to consider what a road, what that might symbolize. And I want, this is, particip- this is participatory. So speak up, speak out. Um, this is why we do this, because somebody in the room can say something that might help us better understand some of these symbols. When you think of a road and the preparation of clearing a path or making a way as John the Baptist encouraged people to do in the wilderness. What comes to mind? Maybe five years ago I read that one of the highest job satisfaction jobs in this country are the people that work for the national parks that clear paths. And I I remembered that um, detail this week as I thought about a road. Why would that have high job satisfaction? Adventure. Adventure. You're in nature, yeah. 
Movement, yes. Company, who's with you on this road? Who's with us? Are we together on the road? Are we alone? Uh, confirmation students, a little while back, we had a little conversation like, they're, what's your dream car? And everyone in the group said like, what their dream automobile would be. It's some really good ones. Um, I think of the way we use roads in our context. Sometimes we're on the road a lot, and we're impatient, <laughs> we're angry. <laughs> the road is a scary place. Roads are wonderful because they help us move, they help us adventure, they're also terrifying at times. Um, the setting in this passage of scripture with John the Baptist, the setting is really important. Um, that's why I'm going to get a little bit stuck in this first symbol, the road. Clearing a path, like Deborah said, might have such satisfaction because not only are you moving, and you're moving with and alongside nature, making a way, but you're preparing this path for other people. Like It's so much bigger than you and your job and what you're doing in that moment. It's, it's futuristic. It provides hope and a place for people to walk, to travel, and to walk together. Um, If the road is a symbol of repentance, what does that do in us if we consider repentance as a preparation for Christ to come? Did you have anything to say? I saw a hand. No. Yeah. Thank you, Adrian. I thought about the trail. Mm -hmm. And um, like how they say that to stay on the trail. And that's really, really good at navigation. <laughs> but like when you're on the trail, like sometimes you see like it's going to go up. And you're like, oh man, I really wish I could just like go down the other switch path right now. Mm -hmm. Has anyone ever gone off trail and really regretted it? <laughs> I'm married to Kurt, so we go off trail all the time. And last time we did that, we ended up head to toe, poison oak, 
hospital, <laughs> steroids, <laughs> just showers. It was, it was nuts. It was right up here in the Sierra Madre, uh, near Chantry, but Chantry was like the road, and then we wanted to go to that white box that's uh, on the mountain. Do you know what the white box is? You can see it. We're like, what is that? We want to find out. We're going to see what that is, and then haven't done it ever since. It's not good. Um, Jerusalem made an appearance in this passage. Not a big shocker. Um, it was a discouraging week for Jerusalem. with an announcement by one person that wants to occupy a place. Um, discouraging, tearful, terrifying. I think most of the world maybe had a collective panic attack when that announcement was made, and then now we're waiting. The hope, I think, which this passage gets at as, is that God is not limited to Jerusalem. Don't get me wrong. It's a holy, holy city, lots of holy sites, a lot of honor and respect and history and richness. And even though it's been divisive, peace, it has had remarkable times of peace. But these people in this passage were leaving Jerusalem to hear a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare a way, make the path straight. They likely had to find the right roads to take to hear this voice. They likely had to get the courage to go out into the wilderness to hear this voice and to respond, to be baptized. This is a mystery and there is so much hope in this mystery. If we limit God's future to these times and places from our perspective, we're going to miss voices crying out in the wilderness. There may be prophets in Gaza crying out in the wilderness. Christ is coming. <laughs> Prepare a way. Um, I have a Palestinian friend here in Monrovia, and his response is always like, when big, big news happens about his homeland, about Bethlehem, where he's born, when this news comes to us, his response is always like, well, well, duh. <laughs> These guys have been doing this for, for centuries. This is my reality. This is my family's reality, and, and it is hard. But there is hope, and he's one of the most hopeful people I know. Um, the road in our time, if we consider this symbol of repentance, um, maybe a good question is, are, are there barriers on the road to repentance? Cultural barriers, personal barriers. We have options in this society there's like a million different routes we can take to get anywhere we want to. 
There's all these modes of transportation that we have at our, at our fingertips to get to the place where we want to be. It's all about our destination. In the mystery of Christ, maybe can we consider a road to repentance that looks different than all of the options at hand. Um, Are there others on the road with you? There's collective repentance, societal repentance. Um, I had a conversation with a white woman that I don't know very well, but we just hit it off because one of the first things that came up was race. And we just started talking about race, and we both realized that we want to be in this country here and now a part of a collective repentance with a history of racism. Who am I? A white woman, a Western, educated, privileged, upper middle class white woman. Where are the voices, the collective voices of repentance and what, what does that lead us to together in fruit? We're going to get to fruit. We have about five minutes left. So there's these symbols of repentance. Water, which is baptism. Water is chaos, and water is life. Water is wonderful, and water is terrible. <laughs> um, you can't live without water. And it represents chaos. But it, it is a... Water is good news in the wilderness, where John was preaching. The waters of repentance, baptisms, people coming and, and saying, yeah, I think I need to change my mind about, about sin. I think I need to confess um, these things because Christ is coming. Fruit is a huge theme in Christian Theology, Christian history. Um, have you ever stumbled upon wild fruit? Believe it or not, fruit is still special in so many parts of the world. It's special. When you find it, if you're hungry, it's the gift of God. Um, Fruit is just kind of like a normal part of our life in the U.S. It's like, hmm, fruit, fruit salad. But wild fruit is amazing. Um, if you go into Azusa Canyon, there's often, it's the right season. And if we've had rain, I think, there's wild berries. And my kids go crazy for those wild berries because they never see wild berries. And they're just like, and then... What are the bears going to eat? I don't know. But um, <laughs> I want Mountainside Communion to think of fruit in the coming of Christ among us and the expectation of Christ coming among us. Second Advent, third Advent. Where is the fruit that you see in one another? 
We are a group of wonderfully critical thinkers, and I'm grateful for that. And we are a group that sometimes forgets to honor the fruit in one another, the fruit of repentance, whether it's individual repentance, collective repentance. Think of the fruit in these people in this room. Instead of criticism, demographics, envy, ideology, put all of that aside and think of the fruit that your neighbor cultivates, shares. Think of the fruit you share with one another. This could be symbolic. This could be literal. <laughs> think of that fruit and celebrate it, because that is the fruit of repentance, the fruit of new life, new covenant. Think of the person sitting next to you, maybe your partner, spouse, your child, your parents. Think of the fruit that they bear because of the good news of the coming of Christ. Think of them at their job. Think of them in their daily tasks at home. Think of them in their recovery from addiction, their commitment to sobriety. Think of the fruit among us without a critical, judgy lens. This is the gift of God, Christ coming among us. One writer writes, uh, like fruit, what if Christians were joyful and simple and sweet and beautiful? That's a guava. Oh, so good. A wild guava. And if you're new to the Christian faith, what we mean by speaking of fruit that we bear with one another, it's the fruit of God's spirit in the scriptures. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are fruits, and there's more, fruits of repentance. Repentance is not bad news. It's good news. The fire is a symbol of repentance. I think traditionally we see this as something very scary. Like, oh no, if I don't get baptized, then the fire, and there's like this like mechanical way of experiencing repentance, and then like the ultimate end is either fire or fire, <laughs> because we all go back to dust anyway. But the fire in so much of our scriptures is the presence of God. People work really hard to get a flame in order to keep warm and to survive. Fire is a good theme for the week. Um, fire is terrible, destructive.
Fire is also gracious. These fires that happened all over Los Angeles, I don't think they took many lives this time around. Praise God. A lot of buildings and homes were destroyed and that, and that we can lament, like what Misty prayed about this morning, but not a lot of lives were lost. And I wonder if we flip it a bit and see God's warm, loving presence as fire. There is a graciousness to this element. Because when it's cold outside, people need to make fires. It's a gracious symbol. Any thoughts about these symbols while we're waiting for children to come back? Anything? I was thinking yeah. About the fire, and we, we were very familiar. We've been dealing with that all last week, and we were driving down and went to part of the road for pork and bear, and and as devastating as that is, it's still now it's it's and, and painful as that mm-hmm. is. It now has room for so much gratefulness. What do these elements provoke in us, like in nature, in the video that was kind of a cheap shot at our culture? (laughs) It's animation, so it's okay, but it's a good shot. What is, I'll be honest, a little bit of depression in the last few weeks. I went for a walk one day to, to, to go for a walk to deal with it. And as I was walking, I probably encountered 13 people, and there was no eye contact, no hello, nothing. It was just like phones. And this was outside in the community. Then I actually saw this video, and I was like, ugh, like, that's not helpful. (laughs) Makes me more sad. It made me want to just look, look around and, and look, search for signs of life. And Sarah, you mentioned the, the burn landscape, but when the green pops, what is that like in a digitalized culture where a lot of us are looking down at something that we're holding where, where are signs of life? 
Megan. Right. Megan noted that fruit trees look dead in the winter, um, <laughs> which ca is cause for a little collective, <laughs> like, did I kill all my fruit tree? You know, our grapevines are, they look dead. And it takes some faith to believe that they're still alive. Um, but there's a miracle that happens when this fruit pops in whichever season it will show up. Yeah. Yep. The systems fail. So what's the invitation for the fruit of repentance in the church? Someone said this week to me directly, if the church isn't repentant, then how can the church expect nations, empires, leaders, it's got to start somewhere. Um, and this is us, all of us. Welcome back, kids. We're going to get to the, the table. And today, specifically, with um, the symbol of fruit in mind, I want us to imagine the cultivation of wine or juice and the process, processes that are required in order for us to get here. Also the making of bread. Um, Winemakers wait. There's like probably a million steps to that process of making wine that requires waiting everything from the grapevine to the, the barrels and the aging and all that. Waiting is, is represented at God's table. So as we take communion this morning, we dip our bread into our wine or juice. <laughs> Think of that process. Repentance is not a one-time deal, like, oh, I did this at this point in my life, and here I am. This is a, a posture and a listening and a movement 
it's here and now, and it's in the future, it's in our past. And these elements, these symbols remind us of that. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he gave thanks to God, and he took bread, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, this is broken for you. He said this to his friends, to his followers, his enemy, and he said, take and eat this bread in remembrance of me. He took the cup, the wine, which I imagine in that time it, the process may have been even longer without some of our modern day technologies and winemaking. Um, this is a wait, an anticipation of, of the goodness that we receive in drinking this. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It is spilled for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And like the paradox of these symbols, this is a cup of suffering and it's a cup of the new covenant. 